When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Property funds. If you've got money in one, it could well be staying put, whether you like it or not. Southern discomfort for rail passengers, but can you claim compensation? and the tax clampdown looming over the UK's freelance contractors. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm James Pickford, Deputy Editor of FT Money, and I'll be giving you the week's money news in downloadable form. And so it begins. Nearly a fortnight after Britain voted for Brexit, the initial shocks to sterling and the stock market have been followed up by upheaval in the property funds sector which this week saw three of the top five funds available to retail investors pull up the drawbridge and suspend redemptions. Standard Life, Aviva and the biggest, M&G, have said they will halt withdrawals from these funds, which are very largely invested in commercial property. What does this mean for investors and for the future of the funds themselves? I'm joined on the line by Mark Dampier, Research Director at Hargreaves Lansdowne, the retail investment broker, who has been following the story. Mark, thanks very much for joining us today. Pleasure. First, Mark, why is it that property funds have done this? Well, they're basically illiquid investments. For those who don't realise, it's really very similar to residential property. If you think you had to sell your house in a hurry, well, how long will it take to sell a house? Probably two or three months. Well, commercial property is no different from that. So what you actually have is an illiquid investment in an open-ended asset class in other words something which is supposed to meet redemptions every day and if everyone heads for the exit at exactly the same time you normally get a problem with something like that you actually get a problem with most asset classes if everyone goes for the exit at the same time Mm. and so if you're an investor in a property fund is there anything you can do in this case well obviously if they stop you from actually withdrawing your money you can't do very much you're just going to have to be patient there are other funds that are still open except they've gone on to a mainly a bid basis so they've already made pushed the price against you they moved it down by probably four and a half five percent i guess my question to the investor would be why are you doing it are you doing it because everybody else is doing it and it does feel that way because i've been here so many times before when the first one starts the pack of cards all go and everyone suddenly wants their money out even though they actually never thought of taking the money out and i think it's a bit of a sort of panic combined with, I think, not a very good vehicle to own an illiquid asset class in. So presumably it's too early to say how long we could expect this bar on redemptions to continue. Well, yes, I think sort of post-Brexit, I mean, we've only been out a few days. I'm calling this a period of mourning, and I think we need to sort of get over that period. And at the moment, everyone is 
deeply gloomy as far as I can see. And those on the Remain, I I must say, are kind of even gloomier and saying, we told you so, which really isn't helping anything at all. Mm. And all this is built on confidence at the end of the day. You know, one thing about commercial property is it does give you a yield. People bought it hopefully for a yield too. And the one thing I feel I can definitely say, and I have been saying this for a few years, but certainly after hearing Mark Carney's speech, is that interest rates are not going to go up and probably not going to go up for the rest of this decade. And my question to investors and to journalists as well talking about this subject is, where are you going to put your money to get any income? Cash is all very well, and I'm a great believer in obviously having rainy day money, but there's nowhere to put to get to actually get mm. livable money, where do you put your cash? Yeah, thank you, Mark. So this will be the second time in six years we've seen property funds do this. Do you think people are just going to get fed up with this asset class entirely? Or will the sort of British love of property investments shine through? Well, commercial property is different to residential property mm. anyway. They're very different animals. I'm surprised that people have such short-term memories that only six or seven years ago we had all these problems. They started, I warned in 2006-07 that commercial property was going to head for a problem. And we have another one, but it'll probably in six or seven years' time be all forgotten again. Mm. But I go back to my point that I just don't think open-ended investments like this are right. I mean, people, if you buy these things, you really have to look at them through a longer cycle than two or three years. The thing is that people have done quite well over the last three years. Some of these funds are up 30 or 40%. So they're trying to sort of grab the money. And the problem today in today's world in information on the internet and newspapers and TV is that everyone wants to move so quickly. So instead of being patient, people want to take it so quickly. And in this asset class, it's not a great place to be. You're much better off in a closed-end fund. Although having said that, even in a closed-end fund, you might be able to get your money back out but you may pay quite a price to do that too. Well, some interesting thoughts there, Mark. Thanks very much indeed. That was Mark Dampier, Research Director at Hargreaves Lansdowne. You can read more on the flight from property funds in FT Money this weekend as part of the Weekend FT or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. Now, we're very fortunate to have our next guest with us today, and that is because she was relying on Southern Rail to bring her to the FT studio. This is the blighted rail service that carries over 600,000 commuters every day between central London and the south coast, all the way from Kent to Hampshire. It's been hit by the worst disruptions in living memory as a result of a, a dispute between staff and management that spiralled out of control. We've seen cancellations, replacement bus services, public protests by groups of angry passengers, and the management this week announced it's cancelling more than 300 services a day to try and bring some order to the chaos. So with us, I'm glad to say, is Lindsay Cook, finance expert, FT money columnist, and regular user of Southern's London to Brighton service. Lindsay, what on earth is going on with Southern Rail? This all started back in April when the rail company wanted the guards to change their duties. They wanted the drivers to close the doors and the um, guards to do other things. There were supposedly no jobs going to be lost, but it's been strikes ever since. But Mm. what was really puzzling was strike days were better than non-strike days because there's been an awful lot of illness there are really lot of poorly guards and poorly drivers. And you don't know whether there's going to be a train. If you go normally at 7.30, you might be waiting till 8.30 to get a train that you can get into London. Half-hour journeys going really peculiar places, sort of out into the sticks. Half-hour can become two hours with three changes. I must say here, 
other rail companies providing a lousy service are available. That sounds absolutely awful, but can you claim compensation if you're experiencing this? And what's the going rate for that uh, at the moment? Well, the difficulty is that so many of the trains this morning, I was in and it was about 25 minutes late, so there's no compensation. But I had allowed extra time. I got an earlier train to make sure that I wouldn't be late. It's got to be at least 30 minutes late. They compensate you according to the price of your ticket. They won't give you any knock-on effects. So all those people getting agitated on the way to Gatwick who are saying, I'm going to miss my flight, very rarely will they get compensation. People mm. who are late to a theatre or things like that. I've had to get taxes. I've been put on replacement on buses, not replacement, but the local service, and been told, your ticket will be paid for. It wasn't. So I then try and claim the bus ticket. I know it's petty, but they just say, no, they won't pay anything if you go through the customer service system, anything that is out of the ordinary. Mm. Is it the same for people that just buy a one-off ticket? Is it the same rate of compensation for them as it is for people that pay thousands of pounds a year for a season ticket? It's worked out differently. If you are buying a one-off ticket, 30 minutes, it's half your single fare. After an hour, it's your full single fare you get back. If you're on a season ticket, then they do the calculations differently and say, oh, well, you're travelling 52 weeks of a year and you're doing this, that and the other. So it comes down to a much smaller amount. That said, if you're getting a season ticket, you're not paying the full price. You are, on a normal day, paying less for your ticket. You know, one example, somebody with a 1,200 season ticket got £4.80. Then they think, is it worth doing it again? Because you've got to scan in your annual season ticket, mm. apply online, wait 20 days, get a voucher that's lasting for a year. You've got to save that somewhere because Southern doesn't give you cash up front. You've got to go and either put it over at a ticket office or you wait till your next season ticket's due. <laughs> and is there any recourse to some sort of regulator if Southern Rail won't entertain your claim? No, there isn't. There is no travel ombudsman. It works for planes as well. They have a lousy record of paying you if you're delayed for more than three hours. They do everything they can not to pay. Trains are the same. You can appeal to something like Transport Focus. They will take up some cases, but they must be inundated at the moment. Mm -hmm. I, in the past, have done quite well on occasions when I've had a major train problem and I've written directly to the chief executive. But I think Charles Horton at the moment may not have time to look at letters. <laughs> but then, you know, it's been an exceptional thing where a train has just travelled through a station, not stopped. I've ended up with a £70 taxi fare. That way you get... But there were so many pleading for money at the moment. It's very unlikely there are many goodwill patients, payments. There is a glimmer of hope in that David Cameron said last week that this is not good enough that the compensation must be more generous. Yesterday I talked to the Transport Department and they say they are looking at how they can develop a scheme that would give more generous compensation. How this will work if somebody's already had their compensation, I don't know, and how they can do it and not discriminate against people who are having a lousy service in the north of the country. It, it's quite difficult. Difficult to see how we're going to find a way out of this. I mean, are there any signs that the chief executive or you know, management generally or the politicians are going to be able to sort this out? Well, from Monday, there's an emergency train service, which means 341 trains have been cut a day. It means the trains will be more crowded, but you've got more chance of getting there and the train you want running. Now, 
could only be four carriages. It doesn't have to be 12. They have said they're going to do longer trains. The certainty will work. As I've said earlier, strike days have offered a better service. Now, we don't know how much illness there's going to be. Mm. We don't know whether this is going to be exacerbate the situation and mean that there's um, going to be other ways that trains are delayed or have a problem. Mm. Thanks very much. That was Lindsay Cook, finance expert and author of FT Money's Money Mentor column. You can read more about the dispute in her column in Saturday's FT Money at ft.com slash money. Finally, HM Revenue and Customs is bestowing its gaze on the nation's contractors, the army of people who do consultancy or IT or technical work for a company or public institution, often for months or years at a time without actually becoming a permanent employee. If they put their salary through what's called a personal services company, they can end up paying less in tax and the revenue isn't happy about it. Naomi Rovnik, FT Money's digital editor, has been looking into it this week. Naomi, how come these contractors, freelancers, are able to pay less in tax when they go via these companies? Extremely good question, because as far back as 2000, a rule came in that said, if you look like an employee and act like an employee, you probably are an employee. If you're a plumber who comes with your own equipment and stays on site for three days, if you come to fix or install coffee machines, you're clearly a contractor. If you run a department within the NHS for six or seven years you're probably an employee. However, there are so many contractors, HMRC is under-resourced in terms of policing them all. So it's decided that it's really going to clamp down on them now and it has a new way of doing it. It's going to get the employers to tax them as if they were employees. They're going to be losing quite a lot of money in take-home pay. It's only the public sector for now that's going to have to do this. This is from next April. But if it works, accountants and contractors, trade bodies are warning very widely that contractors who work for private sector employees, such as investment banks, are going to have the supply to them as well. Could you put some figures on this for us? How many people do we know that operate in this way? The government says there are 265,000 active personal services companies. We know they're a favoured vehicle for contractors. Very few other employees use them or types of workers use them. If you're a plumber, for example, you may have a limited company. The contractors trade body Ipsy says the number's more like 309,000. They have more up-to-date figures done by Oxford Research for them. The government says that there may be 26,000 working inside the public sector through personal services companies at the moment. So it could get a lot more tax if it rolls this out beyond the public sector. I think the government has to get its house in order first because we've got public sector employees and employers basically helping the public purse to not be as full as it should be. Yes. And can you give us any sense of how much these contractors would stand to lose if they follow the rules as they're supposed to? I commissioned the head of employer tax at Deloitte to do some very wizardy spreadsheets for me on this. We looked at a hypothetical contractor who's billing £105,000 a year, so that's £500 a day. It's a fairly median rate for, say, an IT project worker. He might take home around £71,000 now. That's after his tax. If he's taxed as an employee, he'll take home around £61,000. It works out that he's going to be short or that he's been over-earning £800 a month, roughly. And so when HMRC brings this in, if it does, in April, 
will it just be from there on in or will it be a retrospective thing? Will people have to look at what they haven't paid in the past and have to pay it back? It probably won't be retrospective for the employees, but it could be retrospective for the employers. And one of the worries that the IPSI, the contractor's trade body, has raised is that if an employer suddenly says, OK, you're covered by IR35 and you've been here for five years, a contractor might say, well, hang on a minute, you never told me I was. But now you say I am, I'm doing the same job I've been doing for five years. So you owe me pension pay, you owe me back pay, you owe me holiday pay and you owe me private health. And there could be quite a lot of lawsuits. Mm, That's very interesting. Well, thanks, Naomi. That was Naomi Rovnik, digital editor of FT Money. You can read her article on the tax crackdown on contractors this weekend at ft.com slash money. If you've been affected by any of the issues mentioned today, you can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com or you can tweet us at at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com money. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's issue. In her Serious Money column, Claire Barrett has spoken to worried EU residents in Britain about the distress and confusion caused by uncertainty over their rights to stay in the country in future. We have a Q&A on Brexit-related questions posed by our readers, and Ken Fisher gives us his views on the investment outlook. Plus, we have the latest share tips and director's deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our World Weekly podcast, which is presented by me, Gideon Rachman, the FT's chief foreign policy commentator. Each week I discuss one of the main political stories of the week with the FT's overseas correspondents and experts, and you can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts from Wednesdays. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. How does appreciation feel to you? A rising rush of warmth? A building wave of confidence? At Reward Gateway Eden Red, we know appreciation appreciates in value. Starting with people, radiating through companies to transform their performance and productivity. Capture the power of appreciation with our total employee experience platform.